that's the thing when you don't have the time to stop and think from a high level, like there's no way you can ever make dramatic changes. You got to sit and look at this. It's what I do a lot. I sit there and look at this company from like 10,000 feet above. Well, what's like really going on down there? And then all of a sudden it's like, hmm, well, that's kind of silly. That's stupid. Why are we doing that? Or that's really great. Like, let's keep building on that. But that's very, very important. Is your current success putting a lot of demands on you? If you're good at what you do, and you are, then everyone wants you. But that's no way to scale. If you're delivering spectacular results, you should be commanding higher fees, working with only the best clients. Welcome to the Hands Off CEO Podcast, where world-class agency owners and consultants learn how to fully monetize their expertise and scale profits by doing less. Here's your host, Mandy Ellison. Hi, this is Mandy Ellison, host of the Hands Off CEO podcast. Today on our show, I have guest Jeff Innes. Jeff has had some really incredible growth in his company, and it's it's been really fun to see him and his progress in the tribe and how he's really gone from a place of being really pretty stressed out, working all the time. And it'd be fair to say, Jeff, not making the progress you were hoping to make in your company a year ago, so now being in a quite different place. We'll talk more on that and share what that looks like. But I uh, just wanted to say welcome to the show, Jeff. Nice to have you here. Thanks. Glad to be here. So, Jeff, tell us a little bit about you, about yourself, your business. Yep. My name's Jeff Ennis. I'm the CEO of your company. Uh, we're a specialized construction surveying company. We're specialized in the heavy civil sector in Canada. What we do is something that's not trained. We're like a hybrid between two highly disciplined professions, civil engineering and land surveying. So, got a little niche in there. We're very good at what we do, but it was almost possible to scale because what we do isn't taught anywhere. It's all in my head and it's come from my 25 years of experience. So obviously trying to scale something like that is very, very difficult. And we've been kind of beating our head against the wall for the last 10 years, trying without too much success. So I was at the point last year where I was actually going to sell the company. We had a pretty good offer. I was going to sell it. And then I'm four years old, well, what am I going to do? I wasn't ready to do that or semi-retire. So I'm like, well, I'm going to grow. I'm going to keep fighting it get good help. And we're going to try to grow this thing. And that's where we are now. And we made huge progress in the last year since starting hands off. So it's exciting. In the last two months here, we've doubled our workforce now. A lot of back-end people like operations just hired a draft first and last week, an in-house design engineer last week, have uh, accepted offer for a new survey tech coming in. So that's doubled our company in the last two months. Our company, in terms of capacity, we, we've doubled going after much bigger clients. The biggest project in our area we've recently been awarded. So there's a good chance it's going to go on for about five years and it could potentially be a million dollar project. So that's because of our operations manager coming in. We've created a professional proposal. We're showing up in these meetings differently, going after the big long-term projects with the big, big clients and not being afraid to do that. So we did successfully. We beat out every other company in our area to get this work with one of the biggest clients from one of the biggest developers. So that's very exciting. That's just come from us thinking bigger and showing up differently. Yeah, I love that. Thinking bigger and showing up differently. I want to rewind back to about a year ago because I know that you were thinking differently a year ago about how you guys ran your services. So now you're getting into projects and contracts that potentially were worth millions of dollars. I've also heard from our team that you mentioned this too, other big, really big hitters were competing against these projects and your tiny company was able to beat them out. Tell me more about that. So what it is, it's uh, actually a skyscraper a little bit 
It's going to be the biggest skyscraper in our so we're in Kelowna, BC. It's going to be the biggest skyscraper in, for a very long time around here. We got in at the initial phase, knowing that we're getting in at the beginning of this project, knowing it's going to be a long-term project. So typically when you're bid in at the ground level on something like that, we know just from our experience that if you're doing good work, we're going to keep just rolling you along through the duration of that project. We came up with some very innovative ideas, more than like none of the other people bidding on this project thought about probably. And that again comes from our, from our experience, me taking the time to actually put in to thinking about this project. Before this, when we put a proposal, it would probably look more like something you'd get from a plumber. So I actually would have submitted that quote, essentially, that looks like something you'd get from a plumber, where now we have like a 10-page document with our team, very specific and unique ideas around this project and how to make the client successful. And it could literally save our client millions of dollars. Because of the strategy we have around this, proactiveness around our proposal, I can almost guarantee nobody else submitted in their proposal ideas like we did. So okay. obviously, that's probably why we've been awarded this work and the way we come into it as well, obviously. Puzzle. And so you have positioned the work completely differently in the ability to save millions of dollars. So you're able to beat out all these much larger competitors because you're actually focused on the real value that your client actually wants. Would that seem to be accurate to say? Yeah. And this goes back to thinking differently too. Like, yeah, they're hiring us to do some surveying. We've thought very differently on this one. And there's a lot of other things that come into play other than the survey. We've literally took surveying and we went plus, 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 and added about six other so now we're in there doing drone surveying and this and that, a bunch of other different things in addition to that, because they're like, yeah, oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. So we've added a lot more value based on the different using our drone and that sort of thing. So that's very exciting. And they think that's going to be great too. You've gone to up, up value. Let's talk about the process you took to get to the up value, because you're now putting together these multi-six figure up to seven figure type of proposals and putting that together versus in the earlier stages. It sounded like a lot more transactional is what you're sharing. How has it impacted your profit margin to go from charging hourly for projects when you're taking just the cut of this versus these bigger projects that you're able to charge more of value? It's far different, but like, we'd still do a lot of hourly work, but we try to stay away from that. But when we quote stuff, because the way we work, we're so efficient that we're very hard to compete with. We charge a higher dollar value and we usually get the work because we're more economical than somebody else, but we're way more profitable because of how productive we are and how efficient we are on site. So that's what it's all about. We're providing really good value. If somebody comes in and looks at their hourly rate, they're like, oh, these guys are too expensive. But when we bid on a project, good chance we're going to come in cheaper. We're probably also going to be a lot more profitable on our end on those okay. projects because of the way we work and the way we're structured in the company. That's where we find great successes. We can quote on something because of the way we're set up internally. We're super efficient compared to probably most of our competitors. But if you come in and ask for an hourly rate, that's another thing too, is like we show up as surveyors, but we're actually not. We're showing up as like 10 different things within that for our clients. Yeah, we're going to surveyors, but we're actually providing like these 10 different services that are making them super efficient and profitable as well. We're making them way more efficient and profitable in addition to us. When we get a client, they're lifetime clients. We don't lose clients. It's very important to us. We get it on this one project, but we're not going to lose them as a client in the lifetime of the company. So that's another big mindset, like nurture your clients. Don't just look at the one transaction, look at them as being lifetime clients. In our case, we can do that, which is great because as they scale, we're going to help them get successful. They're going to get more successful. They're going to keep making us more successful. So it's a whole loop. That was a bit of an eye opener, kind of realizing that 
So Jeff, I love what you shared about that. And there was a couple of things that I want to unpack. I'm hearing that your profit is increasing quite a bit because you're helping your clients increase their profit. So it's like a win-win. That's really where the, the value comes in for the work that you're doing. And a lot of our clients in our tribe, some of them are growth agencies, and they're actually helping them generate leads. They're helping them generate sales. Your business is really more focused on profit. We have a number of the people in our tribe that are focused on profitability too. But I remember there was this time where you were looking at this moving from the hourly moving where you're charging hourly for surveying and being quite heavily hands-on in the process to moving into this real robust service offering that actually allows you to step back more from the day-to-day. So how has that worked out? Is that kind of blown your mind that you were able to offer a lot more value for your clients more profitably with actually the potential to remove yourself more from it? Oh, it's very exciting. We're just getting ready to roll that out now. And it's super exciting. There's a lot of interest around it. That's going to be an easy one, that one. It's not going to involve a whole lot of me. And that's obviously the problem with what I've been doing. Like, it's all me and it's all in my head. Literally, like when we started the program, we were still using Costco day timers. So we do about 250 jobs a year. And that was all in my head. We didn't have a project planner or nothing. It was me and a day timer and like Samsung notes. That's how the company was ran. We managed to build up to a million dollar company doing that somehow. Clients would phone me and book me in on my, like, actually talk to me and book me in. Now it's all, it's all online now. We have online booking forms and that was a fight of its own that with our clients. But yeah, it was literally all me and I'm so much more removed than I was. It's a totally different company than like 11 months here or so. Sounds like you got yourself to a million dollar company in a really messy way and did whatever you had to, to get to where you're at. Then you started automating certain pieces like your scheduling. There was a few key pieces that were just taking up a huge amount of your time. I think it was like 20 hours a week or something. Well, there is so many different things, right? Where I think the biggest thing was I was looking at what I did as one big lump, like one big thing. But then we went through the process and kind of broke it up. Okay, well, I'm actually doing a lot of stuff that we could hire a $20 an hour person for. I'm actually doing a lot of stuff we could hire a drafting person for. Basically, there's certain things that as a CEO, I have to be doing. There's certain things we can delegate. So you got to find out what you can delegate and then start delegating things. Tracking my time for about two weeks was probably one of the most impactful things that I've, I've done in my life, probably. Just like really when you see on a piece of paper, what you do on an average day. And then it's like, well, okay, well, that probably doesn't even need to be done. And that somebody else can do that for 20 bucks an hour. This I have to do. I have to go and get those million dollar projects. That's something as a CEO, I have to go do. I need to manage the people. I need to create the vision for the company. I need to do, but other stuff, we can start getting rid of that. What is, are the stuff we can get rid of? What can we automate? So even the human, the human even has to do that. For that was scheduling. So we ended up hiring a scheduling person, but then we implemented this online booking for, for us and trained her clients how to use this. And she made herself totally redundant because she spent her time training her clients to use this online booking for them, And then people didn't need to own in anymore. So one of your superpowers is just going and making connections. We've actually coined the term in Scale to Free. I don't even know if you know this yet. With the concept, show up with coffee as a way to be able to get in the door. How do you add value with prospects so you can get in the door? And like, I know that you have just shown up with coffee before. There's like this fast action, just get in there and make those relationships. As CEOs, we're very good at that. But oftentimes we need someone else who can be, well, actually not oftentimes, always. 
We need someone who could bring in that structure, that order that's going to be able to elevate what we're doing. Yeah. We've done so much just like in three months. That was a big mindset thing for me because I was always about, we hire field techs, they go, they make us X amount of dollars per hour. So when we hire somebody like an ops manager, we can't charge short to the client basically, but she just got us a very significant project, could be a million dollar project because of us investing in her. So that's a big mindset thing where, okay, well, I need more survey technicians, more survey technicians because I can charge them out at a certain amount of dollars per hour. But we're doing these piddly little jobs because we're not showing up as a big professional company. So you get that first in here to bring order to that chaos and that changes everything. Right. One of the things that I'm hearing is that she's helping you standardize your sales process and elevate it. I know that's just one small piece of all the things that she's doing because I, I remember when she first came on, we were like, whoa, look at all this work that's getting done. And you were pretty amazed. So tell us more about what was that experience like? Because you went from we're hiring people who we could bill out and there's a clear direct ROI for the time that they're at versus taking on a role that it's, it's a little bit ambiguous about where the ROI comes from. What was that experience like having her come on and what was working for you? What are the changes that were made in the company? Well, okay. So I don't even know where to start. So she was ready to bail, to be honest, in the first couple of weeks. She's like, you said in your job, I, like you didn't have anything in this company in terms of standards or training or anything. She's like, but you literally have nothing. <laughs> nothing might even be better than what you have. <laughs> she's like, I don't know how you got to this size. She kind of still, <laughs> but she's like, I'm not leaving. And her, her old boss came back. So how much money do you want me to get you back? And she stayed with us. She's aligned with our vision and she believes in what we do and she loves her team. So what we've done in the last three months, so we didn't have... All of the job files. So we did 250 jobs a year. They all sit on my hard drive in my office on my laptop. So now we're all cloud-based. All of our projects, we have our design engineer in Serbia. She's actually in Serbia. We have a job up in Northwest BC and we're in the central, like in Okanagan in BC, which is kind of central. So we're kind of all over. We didn't even have a cloud-based system before. So we had different people in different places using our laptops, essentially communicating through emails. Now we communicate through Teams. So, So we have a weekly team meeting, have multiple like management meetings every week as a team. So we have, depending on who's involved, obviously your design engineer or field techs, and we all show up in one meeting and then we have a finance meeting and management meeting and projects meeting. So everybody's aligned. Everybody knows where the projects are at, the status of the projects. It's communication. That communication didn't exist before. There was zero communication before. So we're all coming together. There's accountability now because of that, because we're doing everything on, it's a Slack alternative teams. So we're delegating things on teams. We're really able to see who's pulling through and who's going above and beyond. It's very, very clear. That's huge for us kind of knowing who's showing up and who's going to be the future leadership and that sort of thing and holding that accountability too, because you'll see some people will go over and above every time and other people's just won't even do anything, right? So that's been a bit of an eye opener for us and stuff we've kind of known the whole time, but it's huge thing for a company for everybody to be coming together which we were not doing before doesn't matter where in the world you are every monday morning at 8 a.m we come together as a team and kind of reflect on the previous week and what are our goals everybody in the team sets three goals each week and we're held accountable to follow through with those whether it's a learning thing or maybe reading a chapter out of a book or just some sort of growth professional or personal growth we're all held accountable and then just we check in with each other to see how we're doing as a team and that's how we're all growing together Sounds small, but that's massive. That's been massive for us. It's those small changes that make a massive difference sometimes. But those small changes can be very difficult to put into place when you're totally maxed out as a CEO, though. Everybody in our company was working at 110%. 
myself, I'd work about 13 to 15 hours a day. All of our field techs in the summer would work 10 to 12 hours a day. There is zero room for anything other than just putting out fires all the time before. And we're still still kind of there, but now we have a lot of, like Lisa's helped a lot with the capacity issues. Like Basically, we bring her our problems and she deals with them. That person in the company is massive. I'll be like, hey, let's go. Like, I'll change everything in a day. And she's like, no, 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 settle down. Like, let's think about this a bit. It's another thing we didn't mention is like, so I have a partner in the company and that partner is my wife. And that, this is something a lot of people will probably resonate. Like if you have a spouse that you work with, then you're going to really feel for this. Like it's one of the most difficult things you can imagine at times. That's been a major thing we've overcome. And Lisa's really helped with that too. So that's a mindset thing. We classified my wife in the company as an office manager. They get $20 an hour position. Lisa said, what are you doing? Like you're the CFO of this company. You're the chief financial officer. CFO doesn't input receipts. The CFO doesn't do all these little menial tasks. The CFO is like up here with the CEO and the operation center somewhere below that. So that's a big mindset thing. And it's just the change of a title, not just a change of a title, but it's up leveling. That's been massive. So she's still kind of in like the office manager role, but she's working her way out of it, creating like SOPs so we can delegate more what she's doing too. So that's been one of our biggest challenges is having her and we have kids and Time's limited, right? But then a day, this is a business and things need to get done. So trying to do that and not sleep in doghouse every night's been a, it's been a struggle. So, <laughs> Well, and it sounds like having that role in place too helps you be able to get, was that next piece that helps you be able to define what everyone's doing that is going to be the highest and best use of their time, including your wife. One of the things I want to touch on that you mentioned is she's bringing problems and she deals with them. There's like this balance here of, implementing quickly, but also slowing down to actually do it the right way. And that's the balance because I know Lisa is fast. So how do you be able to evaluate though, if someone has the ability to keep up with someone as fast as you, for example, plus at the same time is the slowing down in the right ways to be able to put in place good, robust systems for the business. So when you were hiring her, how did you know that she was going to be able to have those those two pieces? Like, how could you tell that? A lot of it was... The test. We did a lot of testing before we hired this operations manager and it, it became very clear on how they dealt with things like who was going to be suitable. We also did the Colby score. So that was very valuable too, because basically what the opposite of me, like I was my like quick start or whatever was like a nine. So I'm like, well, we need somebody with a one then because like, I'll just, like I said, I'll change everything in a minute. Somebody will phone me and say, Hey, you guys should go start doing this. I'm like, okay, let's go buy some equipment and go do that. So having somebody with the opposite in that end is we need that. That's been massive that the Kobe score was a huge part of it. And then just think of everywhere, like everything that you're good at and everything you're not so good at and find somebody to fill that gap, stuff you're not good at. You know, I actually want to touch on the Colby A score real quick because I think this would be helpful because breaking down the Colby A score and what you're looking for in operations manager, most CEOs have a high quick start. So you're looking for someone who has... A lower quick start, which means they're going to be a little more slower and methodical about it. Not too low, because then that's going to be hard to work with someone who moves as fast as people like you and I do. And then also the follow through. I You didn't mention on the follow through, but you know that her follow through is going to be really high. I don't know what your Colby A score is, but your follow through probably is quite a bit lower than hers. And then the also is the fact finder, which is the first one. You want a high fact finder. So I, I know that Lisa had a high fact finder. So I wanted just to unpack that for listeners because that's to know what to look for just so you can hire the right person because he's getting that right person. You can you can hear 
with Jeff, how it's totally changed his business to have the right kind of person in place. I also wanted to point on something too. You're talking about getting in place a project management system that allows you to go from a very local company that was dependent on local staff to a company where you can now hire people all over the world and you can have work done in the middle of the night while you're sleeping. That's one of the challenges that a lot of companies in your company is it's a very brick and mortar type of company in that you've got boots on the ground, you need hands on the job. And a lot of company owners think that they can't outsource anything as a result of that. But you're definitely seeing how you have uh, staff members all over the world now. And it's a hybrid mix. Pre-pandemic, there's no way we would have even, wouldn't even looked at it. There's not a chance. The way our company at a foundation level, the way it's set up now, we could literally hire somebody anywhere in Austin, Canada. And it's a matter of setting them up in a project management software. It's many things, but it's project management. It's also scheduling. It's also where our incoming uh, booking requests come in. It's also where our phone calls come in and they're delegated. So they all get routed through there and we can actually, somebody phones in and requests a job. We just attach that to the project. It's all in one spot. We can literally hire somebody anywhere in Canada, create their name in there and create a time block, drop, create a time block, drop it in. And then it just like posts out, like it gets into the job. They know who to contact. They have all of the drawings in there. They have all of the data in there. It's operate from anywhere now. And I know that's really considerable for you because that was a huge issue that you were running into before with having enough staff. And it's a tight job market where you live, is it not? So the profit margins out of civil construction state here are like typically 10%. If you go up to the oil patch, they're maybe 20, 30%. So you have to be at the top of your game to be able to make it here. And a lot of people do come and they end up going because they just can't compete here. It's such a tough market and the profit margins aren't there. That leaves back to you have to be super efficient. So if we can be super efficient and cost effective here, like this is like the training mecca, I think, where we are, because if you're not bringing good value and being super operating from a very efficient place, you're not going to stand a chance here. So if we can do this here, which is probably the lowest profit margin area in Canada, probably also the highest cost of living here, we can go be super profitable like anywhere else, I think. So this is the training grounds where we kind of prove everything out. You'd mentioned too, before we started the call about how you were able to compete and be able to have some of the highest highest pricing in your industry and still be really busy. Last year, we, well, we just did a 10% increase. And then we just did that again this year on our hourly rate. But again, when we go into a project, like when we quote a project, we can quote like however we want and we can still come in under the other people because of just how we operate as a company and we can provide better value to our client. I actually want to talk about the profitability side on this too. You're providing a great example here because there's a couple things happening. Did a 10% increase when you were still on the hourly model, and then you've done a 10% increase when you've been shifting to more of a, a larger project model, if I understood you right, Jeff. With our other model, like we need a whole army of people to implement the roadmap. It's called the Heavy Profit Accelerator Roadmap. We need a whole army of people in the background that no company's ever going to be able to have all these people in-house. And we have all this like a turnkey solution for heavy contractors that are trying to automate their construction site. So just to hire us, we're going to make you the most profitable, productive construction companies around. And you pay us a little bit of money and you're going to make millions of dollars. It's a pretty good value proposition. What was your value proposition before that, like a year ago? There was no roadmap. There was no workflows around that. We couldn't even communicate that because we're showing up as surveyors, right? But we're not surveyors. We're actually 10 different things. We're actually bringing like 10 different value adds into these companies that we work for. We're just showing up as surveyors for an hourly rate, but no, no, you guys are actually 
we're in charge of how much they're getting paid, these guys, because we take care of all their volume surveys. So we have a whole management. They're getting paid based on our surveys. So you don't want to hire the cheap guy to do that because at the end of the day, that's how they're getting paid. And you hire the cheap guy, they're going to be cutting corners. And well, we have a whole program built around making sure they get paid for every bit of dirt that they move. We hire the good people for that because at the end of the day, that's how they're getting paid. But if you're not communicating that with them, like, oh, yeah, we're just surveyors. They don't even know the value that you're bringing to their projects. You have to educate them on the value. And that's something we're working on now is like, we have to communicate. So civil contractors are typically, it's cheap, right? That's the good word to use, but cheap. They don't want to spend money. Well, I can hire these people in-house. Well, yeah, you can. And I could also go fix my plumbing on my own too, if I wanted to. And that's not going to go very good, probably, but I could try. You got to communicate that to them. And so you went from offering surveying, which is overwhelmed with work doing surveying, but now moving into a growth partner that is adding millions of dollars of profit for these companies. Yeah. I actually want to point out this too, because I know that once you changed that positioning on, there was a lot of really cool things that happened for your business. One of them, I remember you being able to make contacts with some of the top companies in Canada, but I also remember you mentioning about some of the partnerships that you were starting to attract that wanted to actually bring you business. You would partner with one of the distributors of this equipment that you put on the heavy equipment. They're super excited. They want to start promoting us. And uh, as people, the big companies buy into the automating their equipment, they want to recommend us because it's going to make the people buying this stuff super successful with the first of all, and it's going to create a lot less headache for them. And they know that they're putting them into good hands. So they want to actually promote us. And as they're selling the equipment, they're going to be recommending us. And also we've developed, it's the first that I'm aware of, construction survey technician program. So I mentioned that to them and they're super excited about that too, because we can rapidly train surveyors now. That's always been kind of issues finding people. And then there's always people out there like headhunting, trying to bring on new surveyors for more money than we can afford to pay because of our profit margins here. That's incredible. I want to actually just sum this up just to connect all the dots, because you put this irresistible offer in place. You expanded your vision and you looked at how do we be able to look at our services more than just surveying, you know, looking at these, what are we actually doing? And I know that this was a pretty intense process for you. I remember this. We took a little extra time digging into what actually would take for your business. I remember even looking at the outside of your business and saying, how are we going to do this? I'm not really sure how we're going to do this yet. But the value was there, it was obvious. And you went through, got this irresistible offer, this really incredible positioning now to move your company as this growth partner, adding millions of dollars to the companies. Now you're putting together this apprenticeship program, your consulting survey engineer apprenticeship program. Heavy civil construction survey tech program. So you have this apprenticeship program now, so you can be able to train up people on this really magical process that you've created within these two different industries, the intersection of it, which is also where a massive amount of value with We see consistently our clients that are on the verge of two different industries where there's like a massive amount of innovation. There's a lot of demand. And where there's a lot of demand, there's also a lot of opportunities to innovate. And this is what exactly what you've done. And now you have this apprenticeship program where you can actually train up clones of yourself to be able to do this job as good or better than you. That's the big transformation. There's a lot of interest in that. The supplier of the serving equipment that I mentioned there, He's like, we'll bring that thing across Canada. He said, if you give us the rights to it, we just want a little cut because it's going to help them out. So they take that thing and sell it for us if we wanted to. And that thing's there ready to go. That's really funny because you already have another built-in income stream ready to go. This is the next stage of growth that we see, exit five in our system. I mean, you've gone through each one of these exits. So you're continuing to go through these. 
hands off CEO exits. And one of the last ones is going and splintering off parts of your business to be able to find additional profit streams. And you already have a built-in one because it's so awesome that you have people ready to promote it already. That could be a whole different company because now we're coaches and we're trainers and we're support. So that could be a whole different company and probably a very, very profitable and successful like (laughs) It's just sitting there. We can take that and do whatever we want at any time with it. So Jeff, how has your vision expanded over the last year? You know, you're went from a messy million dollar company. I hope that's okay for me to say that. I think you would agree with that. (laughs) Messy million dollar company, looking at exiting the company, looking at selling it. Where do you see the company growing now? Definitely moving more into like the white collar. So using our like our roadmap, that's where we're going to be going with it. We're also going to have the young guys doing the civil tally. I'm going to be getting over that. I'm still doing that right now. I'm still working long, very long days, but I'm on my way out with our new hires. This is going to be the last. Got our clients are now trained that no, they don't have to talk to Jeff all the time. Not everything has to go through Jeff. That was our hardest process because like there's people ready to leave. People were going to quit because they had to fill a formula instead of phoning me. So where we're headed now, obviously coming in as consultants for the biggest heavy civil contractors in North America, coming in as a turnkey solution for being the best in the industry and automating the construction process. This is not something they can do on their own the way that we're going to be able to do it. So if they can kind of have us do it themselves or they can hire us and be the best in the industry, that's how it is. That's how it's going to be. How big do you see your company getting now? What I see is because of the way we've, at a foundational level, we build this, we can have little satellite offices at every city with somebody over 100,000 people. We can have one person. Like We can be scattered all over the country. If you were to say like a dollar revenue size, where's the end of this company go? Where do you want to see this before you exit? To be honest, like I'm happy if I'm not working with $3 million, I'm good with there, but we'll keep going. Like $5 million company? Not trying to break anything. I'm pretty decent. I'm in good shape. Yeah, so I'm good. Got it. Yeah, like really. I've got my cabin built and I'm pretty happy. So I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to be working 50 yardings. You know, I actually wanted to share some context too, because Jeff, I, I hope you don't mind me saying this. Most of our clients, you already have mentioned it. Your office person came in. You're like, you guys have like nothing. I mean, almost none of our clients come in at that level. You were able to create a lot of growth for yourself just by working really hard and just kind of hit a level and you're like, all right, I need help now, which is a smart thing to do. Most of our clients aren't working nearly as many hours as you are when they first start. You probably know this being in the tribe. So you've implemented an enormous amount of change in your business over the course of a year, just because that's kind of the pace that you want and you're wanted to create that. What we've done is probably take 10 years for the average person to do maybe. And me too, like I haven't done this amount in 10 years, but just looking back on it. So timekeeping was all pen and paper before. So each crew would fill out a day timer. My wife would go to their trucks, photocopy, scan, manually type in their time, manually type in that invoice. That whole thing's automated now. That was a big one. We're all on the cloud now or before it was all on our hard drive. Everything was on our hard drive. We've changed our whole accounting package. We have a roadmap now. We didn't even know about this machine control opportunity because I've been butting heads with that because I've been looking at it as competition. But that was the opportunity, actually, because I've been like, no, no, these guys are going to buy their own GPS equipment. They're not going to need us anymore. That wasn't the case. They're buying it and they're struggling with it. And we can come in. Literally, we worked for a company that had this equipment sitting in a closet for two years. Within a half hour, had all of their site running and all working on the site within like two hours. And the stuff just been sitting there because nobody knew how to use it. It's 
that quarter million dollars worth of hardware just that was sitting there because nobody knew how to use it. Within a half hour, I had a bulldozer, an excavator, and a guy walking around with a rover building the job automatically. So I'm like, whoa, there's the opportunity. And I was the eye opener, right? It's like, well, these guys are buying it and they're struggling. They're buying it because they're threatened and they know they need to get into it because the construction industry needs a major change, but they don't have the know-how to do it. But we do, because that's what we've been doing the whole time for ourselves. That's the opportunity. So right away when I did for that client, I was on that job for maybe a couple hours or something, but I'm like, oh, no, I can't just charge hourly for this. So I actually charged probably about a thousand bucks for a couple hours in that case. They're happy with that, provide good value because now the job is building itself. So like, okay, well now we just like working for 4X what we were before. So they're happy with it and um, nobody else is going to do that for them. So we have the operations manager now. We have a, we didn't have an operations manager before. We had a remote drafting person now where before that's what I would do in the evenings. I'd do all like the data prep and the drafting for our field crews where now we went, hired somebody remotely to do that work. We started off with a, not a freelancer, but it was an offshore company and they were doing really good. But then we got to the point where, okay, well, we're just going to hire our own in-house design. They're actually like a design engineer from Eastern Europe. We have them on house. But at the end of the day, our field crews finish because of the cloud. Nothing has to be emailed. Nothing has to be manually transferred. They can pop into the cloud. They can grab the data off our data collectors, like the, what the field crews use. Once they're online, they can just pop there, grab the information. They can do the data prep and upload it. So the field crews are ready to go in the morning. We did that doubled our workforce in the last, now we're like seven people now. We were three to four before. A whole different level of projects we're looking at. We want to go from doing like 250 jobs a year down to like 25 jobs a year and obviously bigger, more meaningful projects. That's the next big thing for us is trying to move away from all these small old jobs to the, the big ones. Wow. I want to just unpack this a little bit for you because you're going from 250 jobs down to 25 jobs. That's about 10% of the amount of jobs you were doing before. And as you shared earlier on in this episode, you doubled the profits already. And you guys are working with the goal moving towards working with 10% of the clients that you do now. Pretty incredible. Just think if we're like high functioning with 250 jobs, how good we're going to be with 25 jobs. Like <laughs> That's what I'm excited about. I'm so excited about that. Just from every level, how much easier that's going to be to manage. What you just said right there, this is encapsulate the whole point of the irresistible offer because it allows you to be able to make scaling so much easier because instead of attempting to scale 250 jobs, you can go down to a fraction of that, have a higher lifetime client value for each client and just have a lot less moving parts. It's a much simpler model to scale. Yeah, less liability, less everything. It's just a way better model. You just put together this big, long laundry list of all these great changes that you've made in your business in such a short amount of time. You should be so proud of yourself, Jeff. I know you've worked tirelessly putting this together. We've seen so many comments in our Slack channel and, and questions, like you, all these big wins that you keep sharing, then also lots of questions where you're like, all right, what should I do here? And implementing fast, like continuing to get the feedback, implement, implement, implement. And you should be so proud of yourself for what you've done. Yeah, it's been major the last year. And that's a big important thing too, is for me anyways, think about it for a bit that when you know it's the right thing to do, just do it and don't even look back, just do it. The thing that stops me the most is thinking about money. That really limits and thinking about the company account is my personal spending account. Like I've done that for years too. Just think of it as my own checking account, but this is a company and people are working to create whatever profits in there. That needs to be redistributed or should be reinvested into the company. So I quit thinking of it as my personal checking account, then that helped with that a lot. That was a big thing for me to overcome. I love you sharing that. So you shared all these 
great changes that have happened. If you would have given that list of all the things that have happened in your company in the, this past year to yourself a year ago, would you have believed it? Would you have believed that was possible? No, because I wouldn't have t- had time to think about it. I wouldn't even have thought about it. I would have just kept putting out fires probably. No, probably not. That's the thing when you don't have the time to stop and think from a high level. Like, There's no way you can ever make dramatic changes. You got to sit and look at this. It's what I do a lot. I sit there and look at this company from like 10,000 feet above. Like, well, what's like really going on down there? And then all of a sudden it's like, hmm, well, that's kind of silly. That's stupid. Why are we doing that? Or that's really great. Like, let's keep building on that. But that's very, very important. And that has been very important for making this transformation. Looking at everything from, well, I love rather being stuck in the rat race all the time. Like just sit there and just think what's really going on in this company. <laughs> so can I ask you too, what has been the most significant mindset shift that you've had through going through this process, maybe interacting with other people in the tribe? What has been the biggest like aha or, or insight for you? Maybe how you've up-leveled as a leader? Many things, but I can't do it all. I shouldn't do it all. And that's goofy to even think that. And thinking about what I do rather than just one thing, it's actually like 10 different things and segregating those and then automating and delegating. So we all think that because when you're stuck kind of doing everything and everybody wants to phone and talk to you and you have to do the scheduling and you have to do this and that and everything else, you think of it as one big thing, but it's not one big thing. It's about 10 different little things probably. Probably seven out of the 10 could probably be delegated or automated and you only have to really do three of those because it's like maybe the 80-20 or probably only have to do about 20% of the stuff that you're actually doing and the rest can be either eliminated, delegated, or automated. So that's probably, for me, it's been one of the biggest things probably. So <laughs> just like nobody else could ever do this and no, they couldn't the way it was set up, but what I'm doing is 10 different things actually. And yeah, 80% of them could probably be. That's great advice. So Jeff, thanks so much for sharing your story here. Any last advice for someone who is in your situation? I'm, I mean, I, I know that about a year ago, you were listening to podcasts with Philip and you're like, hey, that's me. Imagine someone else sitting in your place a year ago. What would you tell them if you haven't already said it? The biggest thing, and this is something new to me too, is like, go get help. Like, Good athletes and the best in the world go get good mentors and help and support. And I think that's the biggest thing. Be around good, like-minded people, like the people in the tribe. Like we'll I be friends for the rest of our lives with some of the, or I will be with some of the people. Go be around good people and get the best help you can find. That's probably the number one thing you can do. You don't have to go about this all yourself. You're probably not the first one to ever do this. And it's kind of interesting when you get in, like I'm very different than a lot of the people in the tribe, but as a business, all the businesses mostly deal with the same problems, the same issues. And we could all kind of help each other out in so many ways. That was very interesting, right? Most of the people in the tribe come from like a digital consultancy and that sort of thing. And we're actually like boots on the ground, but it's amazing the similarity we have as a business. It's all around like people and process and systems and the mindset. You need somebody to help reset your mindset, or I do often, because you can go down, down, down. We need somebody to bring you back up and be like, get out of there and pick yourself back up. So that's really important because that happens in business where you get a bad phone call or have a bad day or something goes a little sideways. You need to be able to put the wind back in your sails. But being around other business people and good coaches and mentors is instrumental for that. That's the best advice I can get is get good help. Great advice. If anyone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to contact you? LinkedIn would be the best. Just Jeff Ennis on LinkedIn with two ends. Two ends. (laughs) 
Well, thanks so much, Jeff, for being on the show. It's been such a pleasure seeing all of these changes and all these transformations in your business. And thanks again for coming and sharing your story. Of course.